Mix and recording engineer Todd Cooper has worked with Sean Mendes, Will Smith, E40, Travis Scott, Tanache, Kiana Lede, Duckworth, and other worldwide platinum artists. He's originally from the Bay Area and has been working out of LA for about six years now. Today, he's going to share his story and some of his mixing and engineering processes and techniques so we can become better at our craft as producers and engineers. Todd is the man to call to give your mixes that next level lift. In fact, he can squat 345 pounds, so he's used to working with heavy weights. Don't be afraid to reach out if you're an indie artist, too. So, Todd, as a kid, what was that record when you first noticed yourself paying attention to mixes, although maybe you didn't know it was a, called a mix at a time? Um, I, I would for sure say like some of the Beastie Boys music. Ah, um, license the ill, check your head. Uh, uh, yeah. Check your head, Paul's boutique and ill communication. And, mm-hmm. and then hello, nasty. When that one came out later, but those first three that I mentioned, like I'd be listening to these songs. I'd be like, Oh my gosh. Cause they have all these layers come in and different little sample clips. And I was like, I don't know what's going on, but it's so interesting to me. And then the three of them would come in and out rapping, the effects they use. It was, you know, it was like, I was like, this sound is was crazy to me in it. Then actually the, the one moment where I can pinpoint where I decided that like, this might be something I wanted to start doing is when I was in, I think eighth grade, I was watching MTV news. They had Kurt Loder doing a little special. Um, Mix master Mike was going to be the beastie boys new DJ Okay. And they were talking to him and interviewing him and he started scratching on the turntables and it blew my mind. I was like, what is that? It's crazy. So a couple of years later, I get some turntables and f- for the next like almost 10 years, I was just in my bedroom scratching, mm-hmm. um, took my turntables to college, kept scratching while I was in music school. And that's my introduction into music is scra- DJ scratching and then eventually getting a sampler and, and making little hip hop beats with uh, like samples off of vinyl and stuff. This is all pre Serato and all that. Mm, what were some of your, were you working on the Digi 01 back, back in those days? You have a little task. Cam? Exactly. Digi 01. Uh, no, sorry. Mbox. Mbox. Mbox so right one. after that. Right. Yeah, as the Mbox One, and then I eventually got the Mbox Two, <laughs> and uh, I had a, a Roland SP six hundred six was the sampler and sequencer. So everything was done on that machine with a little L- LCD screen. Wow! And were you, uh, were you uh, selling some beats to your buddies back in the day, or no? At first, it was just just making stuff just for fun, you know. And that wasn't good in the beginning, so... <laughs> yeah, it uh, takes time. Yeah, I think eventually, yeah, I did say, you know, eventually once I got into the studio and was recording people, years later, I would sell some beats. Um, but I also, like, made a bunch of little mixtapes and put them up online. They're still out mm. there. Every now and then I get some royalty from them. Like, oh my oh, God, yeah? people, are, people are finding these. It's crazy. Sound, are we but, talking about SoundClick? <laughs> Uh, no, no, it was, so back then it was called IOTA, which was independent online distribution Alliance. Okay, and I, gotcha. I, um, you know, it's like the modern day, 
like DistroKid or any other company that'll just digitally distribute music. They're called The Orchard now. The oh, company's yeah, called yeah. Orchard. Yeah, yeah, they got bought. Um, and so they put it out everywhere. <laughs> How did you start to transition into uh, having this be your career? So, yeah, a um, couple years after, uh, a year after graduating high school in 2003, I went to Expression College for Digital Arts, which is in Emeryville, California. Yeah. And it was a two-year bachelor's degree program in sound arts. Um, and I, the way it was, is like six-week courses, I think, and they kind of throw a bunch of things at you. So, you, you know, you find what sticks with you to take right. on into life as like a career focus, whether it be sound design, e editing, uh, scoring, uh, all kinds of different topics. Right. And me and my buddy, Giovanni, you know, we, we went there together, we grew up together. Right. And so we had that passion for music together and we learned how to engineer and stuff. And part of that program was, um, after you graduate, they give you, get you an internship. Mm. Um, so they sent me to New York um, to interview, to be on the John Lennon recording tour bus or songwriting. Oh, wow. It's like a songwriting contest. And the tour bus goes around the country, goes to schools. It has a studio on the bus and you get students on and they create a song from scratch and you shoot a music video, you mix and edit it in one day and you do that. Wow city to city and you might have kids that are in band or kids that are just interested in music and never did anything before so i go to new york and i'm not a musician you know right. i can i like i said i can scratch on the turntables mm -hmm. uh, but the, the the beats i make are all on a machine i can't play instruments and i can't read music and i don't know music theory that well mm -hmm. so i didn't get the gig because i was more of an engineer they wanted someone that does multiple things but that experience was cool got home and I went on Craigslist uh, and um, yeah. applied for another internship at a local Bay Area studio called 17 Hertz. Mm -hmm. And so I go there, interview, I start two weeks later out of the internship. I'm already running sessions, paid engineer, because they could see that I, I knew what I was doing. And that was the very beginning. That was in 2000 and end of 2005, 2006. Yep. I remember that studio. That was a hub for the hyphy movement back in the day. Exactly. Wasn't it? That was it. That was ground zero for that yep. movement. A lot of those big records were made there and I worked on some of them too. That's, that's awesome. You know, what, <laughs> what do you think some of your common mistakes were back in those early days as far as, I don't know, approaches to either recording or mixing? I think a lot of well, coming fresh out of school and still figuring out what works for me. I was, um, I tended to think too technical. I see. Um, and worry about numbers on the screen, mm. you know, plus and minuses and, and the frequencies and everything and, mm. and doing what they taught me, you know, which is right. to learn how the things work. Mm-hmm. But the art is when you make it work for yourself using your ears and your mind. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. So I'm just looking at, okay, the compressor has to be here and the EQ has to be here and mm -hmm. this has to be here. And at the end of the day, it's like, what does it sound like? It might not sound good if you're just doing what they told you. Right, right, right. Um, it's by but, the book. 
by the book. Exactly. Too technical and less creative flavor, but that comes with time. Yeah. You have to know the fundamentals Hmm. and then, you know, it's like cooking, you know? Yeah. You know, you refine a dish and make it your own. And if you keep trying at it, it's going to taste great. Hopefully later on down the line. You're getting those uh, uh, early reps in and it sounds like you're de- just developing your ear. Yeah. Yeah. Also, um, studio etiquette is another big one for engineering. Um, you know, you have to feel the room, feel the artist, um, know when to speak up, know when not to speak up. Mm. Uh, there's this fine balance and dance and symphony of like the energy that gets transferred in these sessions. So you have to be there to capture everything and not, and just insert enough of yourself as the vibe allows. Yeah. And don't, you know, you're, you're not the producer, you're the engineer. Mm-hmm. If that's what you're there for. Do you see yourself as kind of a conductor of the the vibe of the room or the energy? Definitely. Um, you know, being the engineer, you're kind of the captain of the ship. You know, everyone's relying on you for the flow of the, 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 the session to go smoothly. If they have a request, you need to be able to do it quickly, you know, pitch it up, pitch it down, left, right, you know, whatever it is, Johnny on the spot. Yeah. Um, because actually a lot of, Nowadays, a lot of these people can use the software themselves. So if you're not as good or better than them, they'd just be frustrated and they, you know, so, um, they want it quick, right? Like uh, they want it quick and yep. And they want it to sound good (laughs) Wow. because they have the idea, you know, and then you're bringing it to life, Mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. Um, So, yeah. You, you moved from the Bay area to LA in, um, about six year, years ago, when you arrived, what were the key steps to establishing yourself in uh, Los Angeles? Um, I might have had like a little bit of a different path than some other people. Um, after working so long in the Bay, Bay Area, I developed some relationships with people um, yeah. who eventually moved to Los Angeles and started working before I did. Mm. Um, I was a little later. But by the time I got here, um, I already knew, quote unquote, some of the right people. Right. Um, and they were able to put me in positions. It's kind of crazy when you start to break down, like, how did I get to where I am? And you start to trace back the lineage of it. Right. This guy got me a session with this producer and that producer that day there was a songwriter in that room. The songwriter likes how I work. So now I'm working with the songwriter on his own stuff. And Mm. that songwriter has a girlfriend whose manager has a studio and we go to his place and that manager sees me work and says, I want you to work with my artists. And it's like, that's how this industry works. It's a real journey and there's not one specific path. Right. But, um, you know, in the Bay area, I had one studio. I was an in-house engineer. So I had a home, a hub. Mm -hmm here in LA, I'm freelance. I have to be all around town working with all different types of people in all different types of rooms. And that was exciting because, you know, every studio has a different sound, different equipment, different setup. So I have to be adaptable and it made me better. Yeah. You got to be quick on your toes, I imagine. And that sounds like, you know, really exciting to be in these world-class studios every day you're showing up to a different work site. 
yeah, it's a blessing. Sometimes when you find out some of the songs that were made at these places, you're like, whoa. Having gone through that transition, have you learned anything that you think might have advanced you even quicker if you were to rewind back and do it again? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is um, we all know Los Angeles is Hollywood. It's kind of the entertainment capital of the world. Right. Um, people, people from all over come here to work. And you can't say that about too many other places in the world. Like where I'm from, the Bay Area, um, I was only working with Bay Area artists. Right, you know? right. It's not a place known for the people come to record and create. So with that being said, even though I spent a little more time than I, than I would like to have there, it helped me refine my skills yeah. So that when I did make that quote unquote leap of faith and moved to Los Angeles, I was, I was equipped. I was prepared mm. and I just went right into the matrix and just matrix, started yeah. do, doing the thing. Um, you know, had I not been able to like refine my skills back home and come out here earlier, maybe it wouldn't have gone the way it went. Who knows? Mm. But the yeah. one thing that, that you to answer your question is, like I wouldn't change anything, but maybe yes, if I had moved to Los Angeles a few years before I did, I would be a little bit more ahead because things work at a crazy fast pace here, and yeah. the um, there's no there's no ceiling, you know, the sky's the limit. You know? Wow. Do you remember any standout sessions? Uh, any stories that come to mind in the studio? There's a lot. There is a lot. Um, so, Any with Will Smith? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So um, I happen to, um, you know, another important thing is to have a community of people of your peers. So I, I connect with a lot of other engineers and we talk shop and try to become friends with them because we can help each other. Mm. So I met um, a guy who mixes music for Jaden Smith a long time ago, and we just stayed in contact over the years and he would try to throw gigs at me every now and then when he couldn't take them. And that's what we do for each other. Nice. So I'm, you know, this is about a month into the quarantine. So about April, 2020, mm -hmm. I get a um, text message on a Monday and, and this guy I know, Stan, Stan Green says, Hey, Will Smith is looking for a new engineer. Are you interested? Uh, and I respond, yeah. uh, that's my exact response. Uh, yes. <laughs> and so he puts me on a call with, um, one of Will Smith's longtime collaborators, creative director, Omar. And I'm on the phone with him and he's like, yeah, we want to get you down to the Will's house tomorrow so you can meet everyone and just check out our, our setup. You know, we, we, he's got a real studio in the house, but we set up a mobile one in his man cave because, mm. you know, Corona keep it quarantined. Of course. And so the next day I'm at Will Smith's house meeting him. Oh and I'm just like, okay, I was sitting in my house yesterday, <laughs> minding my own business. Now I'm at Will Smith's house meeting him and the whole family. And then they, I'm just, now we're just hanging out and talking and I'm checking out the studio and I'm giving him my advice on what we could get. And Right, right. they told me whatever you need just tell us and i'm back there a week later recording what is the remix to a song by joiner lucas called will 
it was a song he wrote for Will Smith, you know, a dedication to him. And Will got on the remix. Wow. And he's standing right next to me recording. We're in the room. He's got one of those shields on the mic, you know? Yeah, yeah. The windshield. So, yep. And um, I was like, this is crazy. I have Pro Tools open, and this is a template I use when I go to different studios. Uh, it's important to have what's called a template because when you do go to different studios, um, you don't know what plugins they have. You don't know how their stuff is set up. So this is going to be a fail safe um, to help the workflow and get, get the sound you want. So sometimes with these inserted plugins I have, I'll have to swap them out for whatever they have available as a replacement. But overall, this is a good basic start. So I'll walk you through quickly how I have my recording template set up. My mixing template is different um, because I do use analog equipment um, at, my, at my studio. And so it requires some different routing as far as the inputs and outputs go. But here I have a master track. You always have that. You can either have it at the top of the session or the bottom. I tend to put mine at the top. That's the first thing you need is a master fader. Then I have a click track ready um, on an aux, a mono aux. And you can see here, that's where you turn it on and off. And you have that ready because you don't know if the artist is going to want one. Sometimes they're in a booth in the middle of a take and they're like, give me a click track. And if you don't have it like there and you t have to stop and make the end, you know, it's a, it, you could be quick with it, but it's better to have it there. Now this setup is, is is um, just kind of like a, a for anything template. I don't know what's happening. I need to have a lot of options available. So I have an all music bus here. If we're creating the music in the studio with different instruments, I can have an all music bus here that allows you to put um, plugins on the whole music group and then control the overall volume as well. I have a laptop track here. Um, because sometimes producers will have a laptop going into the board like a SSL. Um, and then I'll be able to just record that laptop, you know, instead of them having to bounce out a file and then airdrop it to the studio computer, I can just say, let's record it right now. And then I can even get the cool um, sound from the board. So sometimes they'll be like making a beat on their laptop and I'll just have them track it out right then and there as if it was like a drum machine going through the board. Um, then these are playback tracks for the laptop. So I, I, I use one record track for each instrument where I record, 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 and then drop the files down to playback tracks. So now we have here a guitar track. Um, this is the record track for guitar. A nice effects is the GTR tool rack from waves. Gives you all different types of, you know, sounds. It's a pedal board, you know, a digital one. Then these are the guitar playback tracks. So they do layers. I drop them down to their respective tracks. Here's a bass track and repeat. Now we get down to vocal. I have, always have a vocal bus. I have a vocal bus for the lead vocal and I have a vocal bus for backgrounds that will be doubles and harmonies. Um, they need to be separate because they need to be treated slightly different because they both have different roles. Um, I used to squish all the vocals into one bus and mm -hmm. then I started working with some people who worked like this and I said, oh gosh, that's how you got to do it now. 
So I'll start with, um, this is just this template that I have. This doesn't mean that this is exactly what you should do every time. Right. But this is a Universal Audio 1176 compressor. Um, I like that to be the first thing I hit. Then a Waves SSL channel for just a little bit of EQ and compression. Then a de-esser to tame sibilance. You're going to have a lot of problem with those. Um, then this is a multi-band compressor to kind of squash some of the nasty frequencies in a vocal. Mm. Um, then another compressor. And then this is kind of like a, a frequency-dependent limiter. It's just like a finalizer plugin that gives everything a little more juice. It kind of puts a little saturation back in after you've tamed it with the multi-band. Um, I have a vocal record track here, and then this is a vocal playback track. I can duplicate this track as many times as I need. Um, so as you can see, I'm recording my podcast voice right now. Mm -hmm. um, and then background, pretty much same plugin setup, but I can adjust them differently. Now you see these here are uh, sends for effects from the aux track. I have this one VRB, it's verb. Wait, I, um, so that's verb is for reverb. So down here I have um, the auxiliary track stereo. Here's a nice reverb to use. Um, oh, yeah. Lots of different setups, um, pre presets in here. Um, it's good to match the reverbs with the style of the song. Don't just think that a reverb is a reverb. You know, a certain song might need to be in a hall. It might need to be in a, a play, a uh, chamber, church. And then is the reverb need to be dark or bright based on the song? You know, if it's a sadder minor song, let's give it a dark reverb, you know, mm. maybe. If it's a happy pop song, a bright reverb, nice and shiny, you know. And then the decay times are good to play with too. You know, a lead vocal might need a shorter one where backgrounds could have a nice longer one because they're going to be kind of washing in the background. Every song is different, but that kind of goes, goes across the board. So how much reverb do I want? Well, that's how much I can send to the reverb from the auxiliary track. And you can get deep into it. Down here, there's different automation parameters. So if you have a verse, you can set the level here and then the chorus comes in and you want more reverb, you can automate that. Um, other effects I have are an eighth note delay. I have that ready here. This is just a, a decent um, delay that you'll find in most studios. Different flavor settings right here, different textures. Same same plugin again, um, but this is a quarter note delay. Eighth note delay is kind of cool to have just low in the background um, throughout the whole song. You know, you don't really even need to hear it unless it's meant to be heard but it just adds a little width and space and then the quarter note delay i personally use for more throws or automated sends on certain words or phrases then i use a, a what i call a doubler and um it's this waves doubler two um you want to take the direct off because the direct is the dry signal but you want only wet signal because you're sending it from the dry to the wet. This is going to add some width to the vocal. And if you turn it up quite a bit, you can hear um, like more of a robotic sound. And that can be cool for an effect. 
but I use it as a little spice, if you will, where, where you don't know that it's there, but it wraps the vocal around your head and it makes it more wide. Mm. Um, and then the last thing I use <clears throat> is a rear bus, and this is for parallel compression. Um, it should be pre-fade or send so that the send isn't affected by the level that you have in the mix. You're getting the full signal. Then down here, this particular compressor, um, when you open it, it looks like this. So click on this button here to get to this version of it. Um, and what you want with this parallel compression is you want this meter to be slamming really hard compression, something that's, that's squashing the crap out of it. Mm -hmm. And then what you do is you have this fader down at zero and you kind of add in as much of that signal as you want. Mm. And that help, and you can do this with the, the music as well. You can have a, a rear bus for vocal and a rear bus for the music. You send, um, just like you do with the vocal, all the tracks to it at zero pre-fader. And then you blend in and it gives you just a little boost, just a subtle boost. It puts everything in place, keeps it nice and tight, but you only want to add a tiny bit you know, just start fading it in until your ear notices, oh, I can hear it a tiny bit. And then maybe even at that point where you can actually hear it back off a little bit. Okay. And then, you know, that's, that's basics. You know, I have auto tune here, um, on the record track <clears throat> as an insert. And then I would obviously copy that to all the other playback tracks. So that's, that's just, you know, like a basic template right there. That's nice. I appreciate you sharing all that, Todd. Um, when you start getting the mixes coming in, um, wh where do you start with your levels on things like your kick and your snare? Uh, that's a good question. Um, a lot of the music I work on is like definitely based off of hard-hitting drums, hip-hop, and then even the influence of hip-hop has crossed over into other genres. So bass and punch is what we want nowadays across the board for most music. Um, level wise, I like to leave about 25% of my master or mix fader open, mm. meaning it's headroom because right. I'm going to be placing plugins on there that are going to add saturation, volume, EQ. So I need to, to know that I need some space for those plugins and then even after I add the plugins on, I still want a little space for it to hit the limiter or eventually a mastering engineer. So I mix low, meaning I leave myself quite a bit of headroom. Mm -hmm. And and then I know that I'm not going to distort. And then if the client wants me to turn something up, it's not going to crush what I already have going on. I've been like, okay, there's a room for me to do this in a good way. Um, when you get tracks, a lot of the times they're normalized or limited, you know? So if you were to set them all at zero as they came in from the producer, it would yeah. be insane, insane distortion. Right. So first thing you do is grab them all and either bring the faders all the way down or to like a happy place where you could start. Do you mess uh, with the trim at all to to try and get the faders at around zero. Uh, you know what I mean? So it's your faders. Yeah. Are... There, there's definitely different ways to go about 
doing that gain staging I'm talking about, mm -hmm. you can literally turn the faders down in Pro Tools or you can gain clip the audio down right. or there's a plugin called Trim and you can use that. There's just different ways to all do the same thing. Um, if you get a track and you see that it's it's hitting above zero distorted, it might not actually be distorted like audibly. It's just it's limited or something and Pro Tools is recognizing it that way. So you can have a, a track that's like in the red, but just turn the volume of it down. It's not going to be actually distorted. I see. Um, if you hear the distortion, that's a whole different thing. Right. But, um, you know, when hip hop, you're going to get these hard hitting kicks and snares and 808s, hi-hats, you name it. And they might have some mastery and stuff going on in their music session on their computer and i like to get them to send that to me without that stuff but then also send me screenshots of those plugins so that i could redo it mm, because okay. you don't want to you don't want to lose the magic that they've already created um so yeah but i just try to make sure that the kick and snares are hitting hard you know kick snare vocal bass are the focal points and then the main melody instrument, whether it be guitar or a piano, or whatever, those are your five main elements of a song for mm. me, especially with hip hop. Um, and then a good way is to check on your phone and make sure that you can hear or feel the kick and snare coming through the little tiny iPhone speakers. Then you know it's going to translate across the board right. for the most part. So you brought up the drums. How, what's your key to getting those drums to to really slap? Um, sometimes the sounds you get from producers are already awesome because they've gone onto like, you know, get, they get packs of samples that are yeah. crafted, mix mastered samples already that I don't need to do anything to them at right. all, really. Just find the Just right set, set the, exactly set the level, and you're good to go. But then there's times where you start to build the whole mix and you're like, God, I need the kick to just a attack through that hard-hitting 808. It's getting a little lost. There's a couple of different things you could do. You could do a side chain mm. where, where you send the kick drum to um, a side chain input of a compressor that you put on the 808 or bass. And then every time the kick hits, it closes that compressor. And then you have to finesse the attack and release time to get it to open and close, you know, as quick or as slow as you want it. You want it to get it, it to get in and out real quick to not mess with the 808 too much. Another way to do um, a, like a kick or a snare is a transient designer, which is something I uh, is a go-to. Um, I like the Waves Smack Attack okay, and, the, and also SPL Attacker. The Waves Smack Attack does a lot. You can change the sound of a whole... A kick or snare using that and using the right preset and just dialing it in night and day difference more than EQ. What are some uh, references you listen to, you know, when you're doing uh, a hip hop mix, do you have references you, you work off of or is your ear just so tuned that you kind of well, got the reference in your mind at this point? It's interesting. It's interesting that you started by saying hip hop. So I, I come from that. That's my background. That's my number one choice of music but the, the cool thing about hip-hop music is it samples other genres to make hip-hop at least right. back in the day so that led me to listen to jazz and rock and anything right. and, and i love it all but that hip-hop 
sound is like kind of ingrained in me at this point where I know how things are supposed to sound. Um, so when it comes to mixing hip hop, I just go for it. I don't need Mm. a reference. (laughs) If it's a specific song that requires a specific sound, because there's different styles of hip hop, I might listen to something that's similar, a similar song that's like a popular song to what I'm mixing. And then, you know, and sometimes the artist wants something that innately you don't think sounds how it should, you know, but that's what they want. That's the sound they're going for. Mm-hmm. So in that case, I'll definitely use a reference because um, I want to get it right for them. You know, you're not mixing for yourself. You're mixing for the client. Absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of times I'll do a mix. Mix one that I send is like, this is how I think the song should sound. Then they come back to me with their notes and we, we meet a happy medium. You know, they might want me to do something that I don't agree with, but that's what they want. That's fine. I'm not married uh, to it. Okay. I, I was about then to there's ask other, you. There's, there's other clients where they just trust me and mm-hmm. I just do what I do. And um, that's very fun because I feel like I'm a part of it now. Like I'm, you know, I feel a part of it in any fashion, but um, what was the question again? Oh, references. Um, yeah. Yeah, references. Regarding other genres, because I do like mix. Maybe a pop mix. Yeah, exactly. Um, I do mix other genres. I love, I can't just only do hip hop. That would drive, drive me crazy. Pop, I've really been liking the Dua Lipa mixes. Mm, like okay. that song, Don't Start Me Now, is such a good mix, man. And that's done by Josh Goodwin. He, he's Bieber's guy. Ah, uh, okay. So okay. I like Dua Lipa's stuff. Um, I like... Ariana Grande's mixes. They're done by Serban. Mm-hmm. You know, these are top guys. And then R&B mixes, you know, I'll just preview like kind of what's out there right now and, and, and you know, listen for the vocal textures and effects that they use because it's different definitely than pop and, and hip hop. How do you uh, reference it? Do you import a track or do you kind of just plug in your phone and then you set it to a... You know, how do you, how, you know, how, so that you're comparing a similar loudness, you know what I mean? Right. So you're not back thrown in the day, off by Yeah. Back, back in the day, I would put this, going to date me. I'd, back in the day. <laughs> we had, we had, we had CDs. So I'd put right. that CD in the computer mm-hmm. and then import the song, a wave file into Pro Tools. And yeah, right. I would have it at the top of my session mm-hmm. and, um, that's, you're right about the level because now you're listening to a mastered audio right? and you're working on a mix. So two different things. So yes, I will turn it down um, just so it's not peaking and there's a little bit of headroom. Um, but also one thing to think about is when you're sending a mix, the artist kind of actually expects it to sound mastered. So you're going to have to make it loud at, at some point in your mixing process. Mm-hmm. So if I reference a mastered song, but have it turned down at my mix level, I might need to turn that, that, that song back up when I'm getting ready to finish the mix and check the overall level of my mix to theirs because I want to compete. Mm-hmm. Um, but nowadays what I do is I just have Spotify up, um, you know, on the computer and or on my on computer, on my computer. Um, and I'll turn the level of Spotify down a little bit. Be- I mean, to be honest with you, I don't like the sound of Spotify. Mm-hmm. Um, they have 
parameters of how they want you to send their your the audio to them. And if it right. if it's either too loud or too quiet, they'll start doing stuff to the audio to make it level match other songs. Um, I've had stuff that was mastered by top professionals, but they were mastering it for like maximum loudness based off of, not based off of oh, Spotify wants it this way. They're just based off of across the board, this is how it's going to be. And it got to Spotify and it sounded lower. Spotify turned it down. Oh my and it ruined my mixes. It, and then you, you go to Apple Music, you go to Tidal, you, go, you buy it off of iTunes, you watch the video on YouTube. Those places are fine. And you go to Spotify and there's a noticeable difference. But yeah, but I do know that uh, the, the masses listen to Spotify. You know, it's probably the number one streaming place. So how, yeah, so, how do you prepare yeah. two different mixes? Uh, one that's got more headroom and no. Or, now or I you talk. I talk to the, some of the more uh, modern mastering guys have adapted, and I they see. know they know that there's these limitations. There's also sometimes um, a mastering guy will um, make different versions. Mm -hmm. This is for um, uh, DSPs, digital service providers. Right. You know, and then if you're going to go to CD or vinyl, we got a different one for that. Um, nice. Or there'll be like a, a, a hi-fi one and then like a CD quality one, 24-bit or 16-bit. Um, as a mixer, I'm not concerned with that. You know, I'm, I'm concerned with getting the balance right, getting mm -hmm. the, the sound right. I don't like mastering and I won't do it. Hmm. It's just not, it's a different, it's a different thing. It's um, not your thing. Yeah. It's different equipment, different set of ears, really. Mm -hmm. um, different process. Um, and I don't want to be the guy who has to be told, you have to make this song as loud as possible mm -hmm. and make it still sound good. Cause I personally have some, t a tough time doing that. Like right. I'd rather just be like, Hey man, just turn your stereo up a little bit and the whole yeah, mix will just open up. You know, you want that loudness and you know, phones nowadays, everything will get distorted. It's like, we can actually turn the music down guys. And then, you know, we're at that, the loudness wars, I think they should stop. That was a CD thing back in the day where everything was yeah. louder, 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 louder. But we're at the point now where we don't need that, you know? Mm -hmm. We can have everything down a little bit and let the, the user turn it up because they're automatically going to push their volume all the way up. This is just the, 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 right. the era that we're in now. Max. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of like uh, someone yelling at you to get your attention. You can also sometimes you know talk in different ways to grab people's attention um it, it's almost like being obnoxious to just yell at people all the time exactly what do you love about your your job or do you consider it a job a vocation a passion passion for sure um it's crazy to think that, like i i don't know what i'd be doing if Mm. Um, if I, if I didn't do this, I mean, obviously I'm interested in other things in lives as hobbies, but, um, it's a treat. I'll put it that way. It's a treat. It's a blessing. You know, I'm a fan of music, so I've been blessed to been able to work with some people that I'm genuinely fans of, mm. you know, and put in situations that I'd be like, oh my gosh, like, this is only like, this is like a dream, but this is my life. <laughs> um, so, 
You know, it's not all peaches and cream though. You know, there's a lot of days in the studio where the, the vibe isn't right. It's not your fault or you're tired or, you know, whatever it is. Um, so there are days where I guess you could say it feels like a job, but you have to pinch yourself and say, look, man, it could be way worse. Like you've got, got it really easy, <laughs> you know, be grateful, be happy, be blessed because it's not always like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, I st- still feel like a kid, like, and the fact that I get to just wake up and work on music all day uh, and right? get, get paid for it oh, yeah. yeah cool <laughs> that's a good deal what are you excited about for for the future todd um i'm excited about doing more things like this um podcasts um i did a seminar a small seminar uh before covid hit in la and mm. that kind of sparked something in me like oh this is you know there's a lot of young guys out there that want to learn and i've I've got some stuff to teach. So I'd like to do more stuff like this, being more involved in the engineering community. Um, I'm also just excited for all the new music I'm going to be working on. Yeah, what do you got coming down the, the pipeline? <clears throat> well, right now we're um, deep into working on the new Kiana Lede album, which is coming out really good, really good. I can't wait. Um, and then I'm mixing, um, I'm constantly mixing for Larry June. I'm wearing his organic shirt right here. Nice, nice. Um, so about, I'm about halfway through mixing the new album, which will be out very shortly. Um, and then the thing about this business is like, you just don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who's going to call me. You know, I'm just, I'm open. So opportunities come in and it's a journey. I I can't tell you what I'm going to be working on in two, three months from now, even two weeks, you know, if I get a call, Hey, need you to do this. All right, cool. <laughs> do you do, do certain things to promote yourself or is it just your mixes are your promotion, <laughs> your mixes and um, the quality of your work? Are, are you out there tr- actively trying to like hit people up? Hey man, I do this. Or are you past that point? Um, when I look back, I don't, I don't think I ever really had to promote myself. It, I just did the work mm-hmm. and, uh, by, by word of mouth, it spread, mm. you know, and you know, it's one of those things. If you build it, they will come like the field of dreams, like in back home in, in the Bay area in Fremont, we built the studio street symphony mm-hmm. and we were green fresh. Out, you know, I was, a year into my career, I didn't yeah. know what the heck I was going to do. Met some guys and we opened up the studio and I just used a couple of the the clients that I had that were kind of popular in the Bay Area at the time. I, I, I used them as a source of um, advertisement, you know, yeah. oh, these guys are coming to record with us. If you like them, you know, <laughs> you can come yeah. here and get that sound, but it spread. And in LA, you know, same thing, man. You work with someone and you have a good session. They're going to want to do it again. Mm-hmm. So they hit you up or there's someone else in the room that just sees how you work and they have another artist that they work with and they want to bring that to them. And the path just goes, you just have to put in the reps, do the work, mm-hmm. be a good person. Yeah. 
You know, be someone that people want to be around. It's not just about staring at that computer screen and clicking buttons. You know, that's something that I think is very important because there's a lot of engineers out there that are shy and that are nerve nervous and they freeze up and they just don't know how to be a people person, social, right. interact, look at people in their eyes when you talk to them, speak up, mm. you know, know when to do it, but do it. Don't, you know, don't just be there and not feel like you're a part of it. Do you know what I mean? Right. A lot of guys feel disconnected thinking that they're doing this and the artists and songwriters and producers are over here doing this. You're all working together for this song. When you figure that out, that's when start things will start clicking for you. Mm. And how do you go about making that vocalist feel comfortable in the booth to bring out the best performance? Um, it starts with the environment. So temperature. Is mm. it too cold in there? Is the AC on too much? And the, if the AC is cranked, it's actually not good for your vocal cords because it's a dry air, yeah. you know? So temperature, warm or colder, what do they want? The lighting is another thing. You need to adjust these lights. You want it down. You want it up. Mm -hmm. um, what do you want to drink? Do you need some tea, coffee, um, water, you know? Yeah. These are the basics. That's how we start. Um, and then when they're in the booth and they're asking you, I want a little bit of reverb, I want you give it to them very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you follow their instruction, turn me up, turn me down, turn that, you know, the music up, the music down, just get that going. Yeah. And then be hitting that record button. Mm. When they say, do it again, click your recording again, because these you know, I have, what you have to do is get yourself in the mind of an artist. Right. And maybe that means that an engineer should mess around when they're by themselves in a studio. And even if they're terrible, record themselves and see what that feels like. Yeah. I did that a few times and I'm like, okay, I get it. Like, I know how I want it. Like if I'm thinking of something, I need that, you know, cause these yep. thoughts come and go, you might lose it. They might be recording and they mess up on one part and they want to punch in that part. Be quick, be efficient, get it right. And then, you know, if you're lucky enough to work with a client over and over and over again, build a personal relationship with them. Um, that could be as far as like calling them up outside of the studio and going and getting coffee, like become friends with these people so that when you do go into the studio, it's like you're making music with your friends, mm -hmm. you know? That's, you know, even if you don't go out and get coffee with them, text them. If you're starting to have that type of relationship, text them outside of the studio and ask them how they're doing and check in and right. stuff like that. So that you're not just thought of as, oh, you're the only, you know, you're only there in the studio, like be a part of their lives. That's one thing. That's a big one. You Once you get that, you're comfortable, hands down. Build that um, personal connection. Yeah. <laughs> If you're not able to have that, which a lot of people aren't, I know myself and a lot of other people, some of the coolest people I've worked at were one and done sessions. I was there to do a specific task. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some artists don't need to have the same engineer for every song. They're just okay with whoever's there. Right. I'm going to do what I do. And that's great. But I think nowadays, most artists like that relationship between the engineer and the artist that right. the when they find one, they want to stick with them. So... To answer that question in regards to 
only doing one session with someone and never working with them ever again, fast, speed, mm. you know. No, those quick, quick keys. Quick keys for sure. Um, and get a rhythm going. I think one thing I'll say, the last thing I'll say is um, in Pro Tools, there's what's called the grid mode. Mm-hmm. This is something I didn't used to do is when they would say, do it again, and they want another take is my mouse would just click on a part before they're going to punch in at or record. But every time I would click on the screen, I'd be clicking at a different position. Mm. You know, pre-roll, it might be two bars, four bars on a snare, on a kick. So it's confusing. Every time the music's playing back, they're like, where am I? Where am I starting now? Yeah. 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 Get that grid on. Pick two bars. Two bars. Okay. You know, if that's enough time for them to, you know, get a couple head nods in and get, you know, see where they're at before going into the take and hit that same spot every time. Mm. So when they say, do it again, it's boom, it's on the downbeat. Yeah. It's like, you know, I work with songwriters, big time songwriters that write the songs on the microphone line by line. So you, I, I'll have to hit record over 500 times in a course of a couple hours to write a verse and a chorus. They think of it, they punch it in. They think of the next one, they punch it in. But they're, we're doing 10, you know, it's just, so be, be I think that that grid marker um, hitting the same spot every time you press record, it's going to just help you. Yes, yeah, so I have a clear expectation. Yes, sir. Thanks, Todd. You've been super generous, man. Um, wish you all the best. And uh, I appreciate all the mixes you've done for me. And I appreciate all the knowledge you're sharing with our audience. Is, is there anything you want to promote or where can we point your new um, fans and your new your new clients and everybody? Yeah, yeah um, I, I, I use my Instagram sort of as like an online resume. Okay. Um, I am going to be making a website. But as for now... Instagram is where you can check out what I'm working on, what's coming out, what I've already, you know, had released and see, keep up to date. It's original underscore Todd, T-O-D-D. You heard it right here, guys. Todd Cooper, the man, the mix, the legend. (laughs) (laughs) I just made that up right now. That was good. Uh, Yeah. Thanks, Todd. Thanks, Nate. I appreciate you for having me on. You got it.